Hi, everyone. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I'm chatting with Natalie Livingston, a 25-year veteran of the aquatics industry and co-founder and owner of the consulting and education firm, Alive Solutions, where it is their mission to keep people and aquatic operations alive and well. Natalie spent three years as vice president of OOASC, focusing on accident and drowning investigations, litigation support, and consulting and training programs for aquatics operations. She was previously the general manager of the Wave Water Park in Vista, California for 10 years and has worked at both public and private facilities, including Six Flags Hurricane Harbor, Not Soak City, Buena Park, and the City of Vista. Natalie studied education at Biola University and is a current lifeguard, lifeguard instructor, and lifeguard instructor trainer. She's an aquatic facility operator, certified pool operator, certified park and recreation professional, certified pool and spa inspector, and is currently on the World Water Park Board of Directors. It's obvious that Natalie is passionate about aquatic safety and training development. She currently resides in Colorado with her husband and two kids. We couldn't think of a better person to chat with about water safety than Natalie, and we are so honored to have her on today's podcast. Now that we are in the full swing of summertime, water safety is at the forefront of many parents' minds. Natalie is going to be answering our questions and shedding some light on things every parent and caregiver should know when it comes to water safety. Let's welcome Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. You know, with it being summertime, families are spending more time at the pool, at the beach, or at the lake. And I feel like in the past few years, you know, drowning prevention and water safety has received a bit more media coverage, but I still think there is a lot that people don't know. So this is why we're just so grateful to have you here and give us some tips and share your knowledge with us so we can be more prepared. Absolutely. Yep. Water safety. It's that time of year. Every year in the U.S. we see 3,500 to 4,000 drownings annually. And those numbers significantly increase in the summer just because of access and use, right? So if you're a parent, have any access to water, it's probably most of us, right? Water safety should definitely be on our radar. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So Natalie, can you tell us just some of the basics about water safety? Yeah, just some facts. Drowning is the second leading cause of accidental injury and death for children under the age of 14. And it is the leading cause for children ages one to four. For the young ones under one, it's most likely to happen in a bathtub at home. And under five, 87% of those happen in a backyard pool or hot tub. Children five to seven, as we get older into those teen ages, they're most likely to drown in natural bodies of water. And surprisingly or not, males are twice as likely to drown as females. They're a little more risky there. Uh, Yeah. Yep. And a lot of people don't realize that 66% of drowning events, the person was identified as a good swimmer. A lot of parents think, well, my kid's not a swim. And that's not necessarily the case. So Drowning process, it can start quickly, just a few inches of water. And I think the challenging part is being able to identify drowning. Drowning is an instinctual response. Nobody sits in a classroom and like learns how to drown. Right. And, you know, what I've done, we've reviewed hundreds of drowning footage videos, and there is great disparities of what people present like. Some people say, you know, you won't see splashing, you won't hear anything, but a lot of times they will splash. But the environment that we're in, in an aquatic environment is really loud, so you may not hear it. But they could splash, they could not splash. They could be in a vertical position, they could 
be not in a vertical position. We've seen kids doing somersaults in the drowning process. Their eyes open and their eyes close, climbing a ladder, movement, no movement, face down, face up, suspended on the surface, on the bottom. And the bottom line is, I think that that body positioning is really a distraction from the real concern. The real concern we should be asking is, can they breathe? Regardless of what their body positioning is doing, they're underwater. Is their airway below the water? Can they actually breathe? Oh, man. So what should parents be on the, like, for me, I just always thought, okay, drowning is like a silent (laughs) process. Like it could be no splashing, all this stuff. And I just need to be looking for just, it just is a sinking kind of thing. But what should parents be looking for if it's just all over the place, what drowning can look like? The biggest question is where is their airway? So regardless of what my kid is doing under the water is can they breathe? And if they can't, they can only sustain that for a certain amount of time. And it's that instinctual, like, you you know, as a mom, you just look at something, and you're like, that isn't right. 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 And a lot of times we dismiss it because a lot of the behaviors in swimming and drowning, they overlap. Right. Right. They're the same kind of movements. They're, you know, they could be doing an ugly backstroke when they're actually really struggling. So regardless of what their body's doing, they're doing, you know, we have videos and it's so sad of heartbreaking of kids doing somersaults and literally bumping into adults and the adults dismissing it because they're like, I know that I've seen that before. That's a right. playing behavior. Right. So regardless is regardless of what their body positioning is doing is asking yourself that question. Can they breathe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So scary as a mom myself, just hearing this, it just makes my heart start racing. So this is such an important conversation. I'm so glad we're having it. So Natalie, what are some things that parents can do to prevent drowning? First, I'd say be aware it's a real threat. You know, we hear a lot of times post-drowning event and accidents that people say, I never thought it would happen to me. Yeah. Right. So I think that starts with the basis of that it is a real threat to all of us. Right. And there was a study done that 55% of parents reported that they didn't believe drowning was a real threat to their kids. And to me, that's like where we have to start, right? We have to acknowledge that it is a threat to all of us. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care who you are. You know, it's mother nature, right? Is what we're working with. So I can give you some common tips and then how about some uncommon tips? I love it. Yes. Let's do it. Okay. So the common ones you hear everywhere all over the place are learn to swim. Right? Right. Effective supervision. Always watch your kids around the water within arm's reach. Use life jackets. Restrict access. Put up barriers, fencing. Learn CPR. Those, I would say, are the top, like, big picture ones. The uncommon tips, I like to say, number one, is you got to teach kids how to get away, how to defend themselves. Because so often we see drowning events happen to kids who are great swimmers, but somebody grabbed onto them. Or they freaked out and they held them under, they need to know how to get away. So we teach kids those defensive strategies of what to do when they panic, what to do when someone grabs onto them, right? The second one would be to teach kids depth of water versus their height and what that means, right? Does your kid know that they are 36 inches and the water is three feet and what that means? That means that they won't be able to breathe, right? Or that if they go into four feet of water, they're going to have to tread water. Right. So giving them awareness and teaching them of what their height means in terms of water and being able to breathe. The next one would be limited trust. And this is a hard one for a lot of parents. But I really believe that around the water, we should be taking full responsibility for our kids and really limiting who watches them around the water, be it babysitters or grandparents or neighbors. Um, you know, we just make a lot of assumptions that they behave and believe and have the same knowledge that we do. And it's not, it's not even fair to them to give them that responsibility because it's such a big responsibility. And it's just heartbreaking to see when drowning events happen in the care of a grandparent or a good family friend. Like, it just is heartbreaking. So limited trust is a huge one. 
The next one would be safety briefings. Now, this is kind of the mindset of how you approach the water. It says a lot about the environment and what's going on. And I believe for kids that we need to approach it mindfully. You know, I worked at water parks for over 20, 23 years. And we, you know, parents, it was very distinct of parents that would come in and it would be like a yard sale, right? Like kids are going <laughs> everywhere, like they can't control. It. And they're so excited. They have all these things they want to do. But that sets the tone for like chaos, right? right? So we always like to do a safety briefing in the beginning where, and of course, my kids are like, you know, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? But they know we have to cover expectations. You know, I'm going to ask them questions like, how do you, how are you going to keep yourself safe? What, what are we going to do here? Like, what are the ground rules? Like, when are you going to wear a life jacket? Where are you going? Where am I going? Like, who's watching? You know, all those things just create an approach that we're being mindful. Yeah. Setting that tone for your kids. I love that. Yeah. The next one's visibility is key. Not only like water visibility, like can you clearly see the drains at the bottom that there's clarity, but also what are you wearing, right? Bright contrasting colors. We've done a lot of testing that shows, you know, certain colors just disappear underwater. And a lot of people don't realize that water hides, right? You can create a little surface, dis- you know, distortion, whether it be wind or somebody kicking and somebody underwater will literally disappear, right? So what you wear matters. I think it gives you an extra shot of, you know, catching something out of the corner of your eye. Think bright, think contrasting colors of what you put your kids in versus what the bottom of the pool or environment is. And then the last one I would say that's kind of more uncommon is taking that learned CPR to the next level, which is learning drowning care, right? It's not normal layperson CPR. The biggest thing in drowning care is that it first starts with air. And that's the phrase we like to use, drowning care, start with air, because the time without oxygen is critical in the outcome. Not the time they've been underwater, but the time that they spend without giving the, having oxygen. So giving those breaths first is super important. And a lot of just layperson CPR classes don't cover that. So knowing that as soon as you can get breaths in, and sometimes if they've been down you know, a short window, 30 seconds to a minute, all we need is two to five good ventilations and they're going to regain spontaneous respiration. But we've also seen on the opposite side where somebody pulls somebody out in a you know short window time frame under two minutes, which should be completely survivable, and they continue to do um, compression-only CPR, and then the person didn't survive because the drowning process wasn't stopped. And the only way to stop that drowning process is to reintroduce air. That's really helpful to know because you're absolutely right. Any CPR class that I've taken, I've been uh, CPR certified, they immediately do compressions first and then the two breaths. So what would you then say? How many breaths, you know, what is your recommendation for that? Yeah, the recommendation is two to five good ventilations. Okay. So you want to make sure you see chest rise two to five times, then you go into checking pulse. If there's no pulse, no breathing, then you start your CPR as normal. But that drowning care for starting with air is critical. Absolutely. Oh, such good tips. Such good tips. Thank you. Okay. So when, when is the best time for a child to start swim lessons? Cause I know that you said that was a, a basic, like, Hey, children need to be familiar with the water and start taking swim lessons. But when is that time? Uh, cause I, I think that, you know, for myself, I was like, Oh, my son's too, he's too, he's too old. I've just, I've waited too long. Um, but then I know some people who've waited until their child's like four and some people who do it at like six months old. So what, what is the general rule that people should really be thinking of and mindful? Right. The American Academy of Pediatrics previously said they, children weren't cognitively ready until age four, but they recently lowered that to around one. Oh, so wow. in my mind, the sooner the better, as soon as you're comfortable. And I think a lot of it plays into like, you know, what do you have? Ac- if you had a, a kid, you know, pool access, 
Um, you know, definitely on the sooner side, as soon as they start getting mobile and that kind of stuff, but whatever you're comfortable with, I mean, every kid is different. Every environment is different, but the, you know, AAPs they recommend around age one. Okay. That's, that's good to know. And just for my, out of my curiosity, you know, I don't know what it's called. Um, but that method where they basically throw the kid in the pool and they learn how to like float and then go to the side. I have a panic attack and I can't do that. I just physically, my reaction to it is just like, get that baby. Yeah. What do you think about that approach? That's called ISR. And I, you know, I've seen both sides of it. I didn't personally do that with my kids um, because I was teaching and running a structured swim program. So they came in in that program. But the co-founder of our company, she has nieces that went through that as well. So I'm not saying everything is exactly for everybody. Right. I think ISR is very different than the media sensationalized. I'm throwing kids in a pool. There's structured programs. There just hasn't been a lot of like scientific studies around it. Um, So I think it's finding, you know, like you said, if you're not comfortable with that, you obviously are going to have to restrict access more. You're going to have to be very cautious. You know, you know, those barriers and fencing, restricting access is kind of like top of mind because if they don't have access to water, there's no drowning. Right. Right. So as soon as they have access, then we got to start putting these layers into place. But definitely, you know, if you are having that anxiety as a parent, you aren't comfortable with it, then, you know, it's not going to be successful. But do your research because I don't think it's the same thing as, you know, hucking kids off. You know, there were some videos like that, but that's not how uh, the programs are designed. Right. And I I do want to say for our listeners, I am not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying for me personally, anytime I watch those, I start hyperventilating and I don't respond well and I would be freaking out. Um, cause actually that is how my first swim teacher taught me. Mm-hmm. My mom had an instructor come to our house at a, at a pool and her first lesson was throwing me in the deep end. And yeah. I have ever since then had not a great <laughs> relationship yeah, with water. And, um, and I, I know how to swim and I'm comfortable with the water. I grew up by the beach. So I know how to do all these things, but, but that moment I will never forget. And I was, I just now, yeah, we've heard that a lot. Some of those things are very traumatizing to, so you got to know your kid, you got to know the environment and make that, that decision that's best for you. Absolutely. Do what's best for you. I couldn't agree more. So, um, what are some water safety rules that every child should learn that you, that you taught your kids and you teach through your program? Right. So beyond swim survival skills, the defensive moves, how to get away, right, are definitely keys. So what does that mean, how to get away? So we call it suck, duck, and tuck. And basically, if somebody grabs onto you and because they're panicking, you want to suck in some air, try to get a breath, duck down under the water because they're, they don't want to go down there. That's the place they're going to avoid. And then tuck, push away and get yourself up where you can tell an adult to go get them. Okay. As a parent, you kind of like see things differently. And my kids, we started going to sporting events and my daughter was on a travel softball team and they were having a whole pool event at a hotel. And this happened. I jumped in fully clothed because a four-year-old was being grabbed onto by a five-year-old and they were both, you know, piling on top of each other. And the parent left and that, that child was somebody who did ISR swim lessons. So by herself, she was a very strong swimmer. But when somebody grabbed onto her, she didn't know what to do, right? She couldn't get away. It was, she was being held under by somebody who was bigger than her. And we see that a lot kind of in drowning events. So those are the type of defensive moves. What do you do when you just panic a little bit? You know, so things we teach them there. Other rules I would say to avoid no diving, always feet first entries. We see a lot of head, neck, spinal injuries happen that way. No pushing each other in for kids, right? I have videos of kids who are just, just 
meanwhile, right, they're just having fun and they push somebody in, but that kid's skill level is not the same as the kid who pushed them in. And then we experience a drowning event, right? Um, no breath holding activities. You know, kids are notorious for, I can hold my breath longer than you can, or we can swim all the way across the pool and back as many times. And that leads to shallow water blackout, which is extremely dangerous. You know, basically passing out underwater. You know, you don't have that ability to, or that recognition in your brain to take that breath. So you pass out. And if, if you did it on a basketball court, it wouldn't be that dangerous. But doing that in the water, that's life-threatening. Um, right. So other things of no horseplay or hanging on others. You know, we teach the kids, I see them like, Climbing all over the dads, it's kind of that general rule that we're in right now, like social distancing in the water. Give people space, right? Stay away from the drains. Those can be entrapment concerns. And I would say the biggest one overall in my mind for kids' rules is see something, say something. I actually pay my kids to pay attention and to tell me when things aren't right. Because, you know, we see drowning events. Kids are are attentive to what's going on, but they don't always say things, right? We'll have right. a drowning event where a kid is under the water and other kids are like circling in goggles and they know something's off. They're not sure, but they don't alert the adult, right? So getting them, I want them on my risk management team. I want them knowing that they need to tell me everything. So when we go to the pool, we go to the beach, like I pay them, we keep track and now it's a point system, but I used to take quarters. And if they told me something was happening or some kid couldn't swim, or I just wanted them to learn to pay attention right? So see something, say something. I want them to be an extra set of eyes for me as well. So that's a big rule we have. Oh, I love that. I'm definitely going to be using that with my kid because that is so, so, so helpful. Oh gosh. Okay. So then what are some products that you think every family should have, you know, uh, preparing to get in the water? And and I want to know what you think for the pool and for the beach or lake, you know, because it might be different for for both. Right. Well, I think bright swim colors. I'm trying to think of, think down the list of things. Bright, contrasting swim colors. Um, we always recommend goggles over masks. Goggles, you know, masks have that nose piece. Um, and have, you know, when kids come up, they need to be able to take that inhale. And usually it's through their nose. Um, so a lot of, you know, swim facilities won't even let you wear masks. And also they're made of glass. And if you shatter glass at a pool, you're going to have a draining issue. So goggles over glass, we recommend. Um, life jackets for sure. U.S. Coast Guard approved. They're actually kind of changing their rating system, but definitely a well-fitted Coast Guard approved life jacket would be resources. What other kind of things? For backyard pools, obviously fencing. I recommend signage. If you have a pool, you have liability issues. So there's a lot of different signage that you can add there, making sure that you have something to help rescue somebody. You know, as a lifeguard, um, I always carry flotation right? Even though I'm a great swimmer, I can tread water forever. I still carry flotation with me. So as a parent, I don't think any differently. When I am at the beach, I keep a life jacket at my feet. So if I have to go in, I have flotation for me, right? I don't want to become a secondary you know, victim as well to a drowning event. So I think as parents, we got to be comfortable in whatever environment that we're in, that we can get to the bottom and we're comfortable going down there and getting somebody. So things like that, I would say would be good purchasing tools. Fantastic. And I totally agree. I think when people have pools, making sure that they have the proper childproof fencing around their pool, because I will never forget, I think it was like that Olympic who lost their daughter to a drowning from their pool, just because the door was open for like 
two seconds. And she, and she said this one line that I will never forget. She goes, I now think I have a lion back in my backyard before it's just a pool and it's fun and all of that. But now I think of this like beast that I have to contain in my backyard. And that's something that I think all parents need to kind of keep in mind uh, when it comes to, to water safety. So I couldn't agree more. And also, can you tell us, Natalie, there was also some like media coverage on secondary drowning. Can you tell us what that is and what parents need to look for when it comes to that? Yeah. Secondary drowning is not actually an acceptable medical term anymore. Those terms, dry drowning, near drowning, secondary drowning. Drowning is a process. And the the definition, by definition, it is a process of respiratory impairment due to submersion in a liquid, meaning the water right? So you can survive a drowning event. There's actually three outcomes. Fatal outcome, they don't survive. Um, Non-fatal, with neurological morbidity, meaning there's brain damage, or without. So that's kind of those terms depend on how long we spent without oxygen, right? The longer we spend without oxygen, the more closer we are in that spectrum to either surviving with neurological damage or death. Now, I know the concern with parents is you go to swim and they swallow some water and they start choking on it. Um, and there's a great resource, notoutofthewater.com. And I would recommend people going there. You can screenshot the images and keep them on your phone for reference. But basically, anything beyond, you know, when you swallow water at the dinner table and you kind of like choke and within a minute or two, it settles back down again. Anything beyond that while you're engaged in water play would be something that you'd want to pay attention to. So the two to four hours after water play is like the most critical time. And, um, you know, things like, persistent cough, irritability, um, kind of like to me, it was kind of in line with concussion, right? Their behavior, they're tired. And the website, not out of the water.com gives you all the symptoms to look for. But basically, if you are concerned at that point, take them in the likely monitor them and give them some oxygen until their lungs calm down. Now they're hasn't been a connection between like somebody had a drowning event on Monday and then on Friday they passed away. And that website will give you all the data there. So I want parents to kind of relax. Um, But I know it's been like sensationalized in the media and all that kind of stuff. But that was basically somebody experienced a non-fatal drowning event, right? The kid had trouble breathing. And I kind of equate it to like how we explain to people somebody had a heart attack. They can survive a heart attack, but you still had a heart attack. Right. So to be careful of that. But I would definitely recommend that resource of things to pay attention to if you are concerned. Fantastic. Okay. So, I mean, oh my gosh, (laughs) Natalie, you are so knowledgeable and experienced in all of this. You have to tell us, like, how did you get involved in this whole industry? Yeah, I've been in aquatics for over 25 years, started teaching backyard swim lessons, became a lifeguard, um, worked my way up and was the general manager of a water park for over 10 years. And we ran camps and swim lessons. About five years ago, started doing the consulting side, which is accident and drowning investigations. And, you know, I I wrote a post that was um, 10 water safety tips from a mom who investigates drowning. And it kind of went viral. And I was like, whoa, I realized that there's this whole side that we should also be focusing on because we, you know, a lot of our business is on the professional side, supporting aquatics operators and doing that. But parents need to know all this too. So that's when we started creating content and all that kind of stuff specific for parents to share with them everything that we've learned. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, because I was going to say, holy moly, you just know so much. And it's so cool that you just, how did you stumble upon it though? Like, did you just one day say like, oh, I want to be a lifeguard. And then it just like became a passion. 
Yeah, it was so weird. I always say you get sucked, you get sucked into the water park world. I actually studied education and was planning to be a second grade teacher, and that never happened. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was a swim instructor, and the person who taught me was like, "Hey, you should go be a lifeguard." And I was like, "I don't, I can't be a lifeguard." And she's like, "You can." And then from there, it was like, forget it. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, oh, definitely a passion. I love it. I love it. Okay, so Natalie, how can a family find a good qualified swim class or instructor? Well, we, uh, the internet is a wealth of information, right? So check right. online reviews, ask recommendations in local groups, and don't be afraid to try out and to find out what, you know, try a couple and find out what works best for you. Um, you know, I ran several different types of programs. They all have different curriculum. They all have a little bit of a different spin and approach. So make sure you're comfortable with the environment. And um, yeah, if the instructor doesn't work for you or you kind of aren't feeling comfortable with something, try something out. But I guarantee there'll be something that clicks for you. Ah, cool. Okay. And uh, you already gave us so many great resources, but are there any other resources that you haven't mentioned that you would like to let our families who are listening know? Yeah. Well, I think a layered approach is important, right? We internally here explain it in terms of like skill set, tool set, and mindset category. So like, you know, skill set is learning to swim. That's a big one. We also recommend, you know, actual training and education on water safety, that mindset piece. And for for us, that was one of the big gaps we saw. So we created you know, parent water safety courses and for counselors and babysitters to never stop learning. So that's what I would, I would say. That's awesome. Okay. And any final thoughts or just words of advice for our listeners? Yeah, you kind of made me think of something. I know talking about drowning and water safety can bring up a lot of anxiety and kind of fears, but I think that's a good thing. I think that means that you actually get it right? Water safety is dangerous. Water is dangerous to us as humans. And it is smart to have fears around that. Now, you know, we talk about what type of fears, right? We're not talking about like maladaptive fears. We want to have adaptive fears where there is a good basis for us to, you know, change our behavior and to be smart about what we do. And that's what we talk a lot about is being water smart. So I would say that. And then I also say that, you know, your approach to water safety doesn't have to look like anyone else. We call it like recipe building, right? Don't be afraid to say no. I know it's hard when in-laws or whatever have different kind of environments. Say no. Create those boundaries that protect you and your kids. Um, You know, I know those conversations are hard sometimes, but they are important. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And now, I, uh, gosh, just having this conversation with you, I, I feel like you're right. A lot of people can be dismissive whenever it comes to kids, you know, playing in the pool. But listening to this episode, I hope everyone who's listening like I am, it's just gosh, being so much more mindful and attentive and having, you know, your little ones being attentive, give them those quarters to, to, you know, help you out. And we're teaching them to be water smart themselves, right? It doesn't do any good if I'm just doing it all for them. And, you know, it's a progressive process, but I want them to be adults that are water smart. Yes, I, I agree. Ah, I love it. Okay. And I, I need to know where can, where can our listeners find you, Natalie? Yep. We are on Facebook, Instagram at Aquatic Safety Connection, all one word. And our website is alive-solutions.com. So find us on social. We give out all types of tips and strategies and all kinds of things there. I love it. Oh gosh. This this was super helpful. Thank you again, Natalie. I feel like yeah, exactly. I'm more prepared as my family and I head to the beach this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Of course. And for our listeners out there, if you have any questions or comments about water safety, please share them with us. We're going to be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Thank you again, Natalie. We hope you have a great one. Thanks. You too.